Hello, and welcome to the Pragmatic Live podcast series, where we tackle the biggest challenges facing today's product management, product marketing, and other market and data-driven professionals with some of the best minds in the industry. I'm Rebecca Calajaris, Vice President of Marketing and Product Strategy at Pragmatic Institute, and your host for this episode. And I am very excited today to have Eileen Norton, Global Marketing Director for Watson Health Sciences at IBM, join us. Uh, it's always my favorite conversations when we get to talk to practitioners in the field and really hear how they're doing it and how it's going uh, there. So thank you so much for joining us, Eileen. Thanks so much, Rebecca. I'm excited to be here. All right, Eileen, let's just start by giving the listeners a little bit of background about you uh, and how you got to the role that you are in today. Totally. Um, so it's funny, it's full circle. I actually studied consumer psychology, which is part marketing, part psych, um, in school. And then I went into consulting initially at IBM, um, had a variety of roles from there, supported lots of different clients from consumer products and pharma companies, um, and then found my way over to a business unit inside IBM called Watson Health. Within, and within that, I did some product roles. Um, and some other project management roles, eventually found my way to marketing um, six years post-school and took on a really interesting media role where I had to kind of run a marketing function for all the products in healthcare that we sell to life sciences and pharma companies um, and, and that marketing function end-to-end. So figuring out the strategy, all the um, programs and tactics, the um, the product marketing, the performance marketing, the sales enablement piece, et cetera. So end-to-end, had to do everything in this, and I've been doing that for about two years. That's just my kind of role, Eileen. I love those, the big, meaty, <laughs> meaty pieces. So let's talk a little bit. I mean, when you touch that much of the marketing and the product cycle, I think one of the really big pieces here is alignment, right? How do you get all of those pieces moving? Yeah. How do you keep everything in the air? So I'm I'm really hoping we can kind of dig into that today. Yes. Yeah. Perfect. And the thing I, I found too, um, like being coming into a marketing function, not having kind of raised the rank through it, marketing means something different to every single stakeholder in the business. Um, if you talk to sales, marketing is very much the programs and the value props and competition. But if you talk to a general manager, it could be something very different. Like how are you, you know, in, um, improving awareness or how are you, how's our content performing? So it was really interesting having to figure out like, what does each of these individuals care about? And then how do I communicate what our focus is to them um, and, and how we're helping them? Great. So, I mean, I, I think let's just dig right in. So you, you talk about different stakeholders. You've got sales. Sales is always a huge stakeholder. It's a great partner and it's a big stakeholder. You've got your sort of GM, your executive pieces. Are there other big stakeholders that you think about and uh, how you build those bridges? Yes. Um, well, inside the organization, the big stakeholders, of course, are product. We have a sales enablement function and then sales of course. And then externally, of course, it's the buyers and the customers are the big stakeholders and making sure that they really understand, you know, um, what we do, how we can help them and just make their lives much easier. So those are the big stakeholders I think we're focused on. Okay. Well, let's dig into each one. Let's start, let's start with sales. Always my favorite. So in terms of alignment with sales, right. And helping them understand kind of how best you could help them. uh, How have you done that? Yeah. 
So, um, like thinking back to just starting out, right, I had to evaluate what the current state was um, in order for us to even align on where we needed to go and what we needed to do. So a couple of the things we really focused on and how I leveraged the pragmatic framework actually were um, just off the bat understanding, you know, where we were winning and where we were losing out in the marketplace. And we did not have a robust win-loss program. We didn't really have any. It was all self-reported from sales, which they are a great um, source of information, but we wanted to hear it from the customer's voice. So we kicked off win-loss programs to really understand, um, you know, why we were losing against the competition or why they loved us. Uh, and then we were able to focus from there. We took a lot of that to feed into where do we need to focus then so that we can help the sales team win once we already know, you know, a buyer is interested in purchasing this product. So from there, we kind of focused in two areas with sales, which was, you know, competitive intelligence, competitive landscape work. So we spent a ton of time creating battle cards for them and with them getting feedback from them. Um, and then like putting it into a really consumable, you know, asset that they could use out in the field. So that was a huge way to align just how we talk externally and how we compare um, to help them win. And then the other key place beyond differentiators were just really, you know, I think in the era of um, post-COVID, they, we spent a lot of time, you know, working with our sales team and aligning on like use of social media. Um, this was not a place where they were comfortable prior. And so we train them up on LinkedIn. So it's not so scary. Um, we, and how they could, you know, really pull through some of these messages, some of the things we were pushing out like content through their own channels. Um, and then they would feed back to us what they're missing, what is working well, um, what customers are asking for so that we could build it and quickly get it out to them too. So those were probably two of the key areas where we had to align. What I think is so so smart about that, Eileen, is one of the things that we talk about in our class, right, is that to to sort of, I'm going to paraphrase, uh, to stop being viewed as a tactician, stop talking about tactics, right? Start talking about strategic in the market point of view. And to kind of start with your partnership with sales really focused on win-loss and competitive intelligence, it really kind of sets you up as a strategic partner. And it also really... It's not a an us versus them thing, right? It's not, well, sales would do it this way, but marketing would do this this way. It's like, no, no, this is all of us being focused on the market. And it's just a great way of, of pivoting the conversation, letting them see the kind of impact it can have and the kind of roles that you can do. So I think it's a, a really smart way of sort of starting to build up those relationships with sales. Totally. And then once we had them, we were able to, you know, stand up what our cadences look like, right? Like a weekly, just looking at, the leads and the numbers. And we created, you know, Salesforce dashboards. So it could just be real time, you know, what, why is stuff stuck and how do we unstick it and how do we get what you guys need to help progress this? So it was definitely a lot of relationship building, but once you're there um, and aligned, yeah, you can be a super well-oiled machine. Well, in metrics, I think we'll probably find metrics as a really key uh, common ground in a lot of these stakeholders, right? So we talked sales and I think those dash dashboards, and the, the shared dashboards are so important. It's actually something we're really working on right now. We all look at the same data, but through different lenses. And instead of that, like, let's just have yeah. one lens. So there's no like, oh, but that means this here, right? A super smart. 
But I would imagine when we talk about sort of the general managers too, that there is super important metrics for them <laughs> and maybe some same, but yeah. some slightly different. Oh yeah. And then you, I like quickly realized what, you know, marketers out in the field care about is very different from what a general manager cares about. Like traffic to page doesn't translate to results in their head. Right. So I, um, came up with like a monthly dashboard that focused on three things and really the three areas we knew we had to improve. So, and I looked at it kind of through a funnel where what, like, how are we performing in terms of building awareness and engagement just early on? So I could talk about, you know, what were the couple of wins we had up there um, and how are, is our brand awareness improving over time or how many calls have we made um, outbound calls and stuff and how have they translated into pipeline? And then two is just generating demand. How did our events perform? How did our digital content perform? And all through the lens of sourced and one pipeline. And then the third is just progressing pipeline, right? Because it was, how, how long is it sitting in a sales stage? And then how quickly are we getting to a close? And are we growing deal sizes? So those were the areas that I focused on that really translated, I think, ultimately to what the general manager cares about at the end of the day. It is true. And I mean, the other metrics like the page page traffic and things like that, bounce rates, time on page, they matter at a very different yeah. space though. And it not only does it not translate to the GM, but you also... Let's just be blunt. You don't want them in in that level of your business, right? Because yeah. we we as marketers, we like we understand so many intricacies and different things that go into that, uh, and and we can put it in reference of all the other metri- metrics related to that, right? Um, but it but it, those can be dangerous ones to get other people focused on, even when you're excited about it for a reason. Just don't keep it to yourself. <laughs> yes, totally. Well, and especially because we. Our, our business was just constantly going through so much change. So year-to-year views, while interesting, it, there was so much background to make it make sense yeah. in context, right? Or even month-to-month. And just this past year, like nothing, none of our metrics made sense year-to-year or month-to-month because you're looking at a, a business that had a lot of in-person events that just totally disappeared and we had to pivot all of our plans. So I, I totally agree, right? Metrics only mean so much in context and you really need the big picture view and how this matters just in terms of results at the end of the day, results and the goals for that period of time. Yep. And you know, I mean, it, in, and there are certainly leading ones in between because the goals and the results, if, if you only look at those, you're not going to be able to see things coming, but there is a, a definite balance. And you are so right about COVID just killing your historical data and trends and to some extent your predictability, right? Like predictions that you're oh, yeah. able to super comfortably make. You're like, I, I, it's different. <laughs> yes. Yes. Very. I understand that fully. Um, <laughs> you know, just, I just want to go back to one thing because I've been thinking about it. When you started the win-loss program uh, with within the company and you were working with sales, really curious as to how sales responded to that, because that is something I've talked to lots of different people in the field about. And I would just love to hear sort of what their initial responses were and sort of how you got them on board. Yes, that is such a good question because um, I think initially it was a little scary, right? Because um, that that's you, they see that as them an ind- as an individual and a reflection on their sales skills, right? So. I think two things helped us get their support and buy-in through this. 
Um, one of those was that we were really focused on any reports or outcomes from the analysis was on the deal and the customer and the product. It was not on the individual seller. So even when we do readouts of it, we don't we don't really share or focus on the seller themselves. It's really more our internal processes, um, why we lost against a competitor. And then two was we got top-down support. So I got the sales leadership to feel comfortable to also say that same kind of narrative and story so that sellers didn't feel like they had to defend this to their leadership as well. Um, and so that really helped drive you know, alignment and buy-in. And then once we started to get those couple of first interviews and really interesting, strong feedback that helped us together fix a broken process or a contracting challenge, um, they started to see the value of the win-loss, you know, in the bigger picture of their day-to-day. So then we were getting more and more, you know, customers or deals that they were referring to go through the interview process because they would give really interesting insights. That, yeah, no, that's perfect. Really letting them understand it's not a, a reflect, you know, it's not about digging into the sales process, but then to your point, you also have to carry that out. So you have to do what you said you're going to do up front. But once they do that, there is such trust. And then there's such excitement uh, I've found for for them to be like, wow, this is a powerful tool. And also really, you know, you've learned some unexpected things, even about accounts that you know very well. And I, I think it's just, it can be super powerful, but uh, it is important that we set it up right. And then we do what we say, like we keep our promise here because if yeah. we like, then we're not going to get anything. <laughs> we're going to get one, one yeah. name a year that we're allowed <laughs> to reach out to. Exactly. And then the other thing um, that we weren't initially realizing was going to be a benefit of the program, but ended up being one is that, we, you know, last year, something you're focused early funnel awareness, but also on advocacy. So we were really focused on trying to get some reference um, stories, some, some like customers on webinars and stuff. And we hadn't really done that robustly in the past. And the win-loss interviews, a lot were wins. Um, and we had people who really loved what they were using and loved, you know, their relationship with their, their seller and with IBM. And so we were able to kind of bottle up those stories and then turn them into even bigger advocates and like highlight their stories. So that was, you know, unexpected. But then when the seller started to see the value marketing could bring in to strengthen a relationship, they started sending even more to us, which was really exciting. Oh, and those advocates are, are so powerful. And so uh, they're, they're worth so much in so many ways. Yeah. Yes. Yes. So you also talked about product, and I was uh, this is again one very very close to my heart is the connection between <laughs> product and marketing. Can you talk a little bit about how you guys kind of defined roles and responsibilities there, and and handoffs and 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 accountabilities? We're a little lucky because IBM has a really robust like product management framework which aligns well to the pragmatic marketing framework. So there's really clear stuff that happens, you know upfront that just offering is is responsible for. And then there's really kind of clear handoff to product. Some of the places that we focused over the past couple of years have been really in the launch space because um, there are there is so much to do and so much planning. Um, and I think historically marketing got pulled in a little late. So we'd be putting together launch plans with a few weeks time. So you couldn't do a lot of that market research 
sort of message testing or competitive, you know, research and stuff. So we started to get pulled in a lot earlier with offering and, and their processes, which was really great. Um, I think the other place we really focused with them was on the customer and buyer journey and user journey. We IBM has a really great um, design uh, design function, I would say, which is part of product. Um, and so we worked with them. We also worked with our customer success teams and products to really end-to-end -end last year map what is the journey like for a customer, how do we improve this, and then where are our gaps and how are we going to focus. And it was such an integrated project. We needed everybody. We needed product to make, you know, dev updates. We needed design to make user experience updates, customer success to help train customers. And so that was something I think um, – helped drive alignment on where we're focusing and then also just what is the current state and how do we make it better. So those are the two areas I think with product. So two great areas too, right? Launch is, I mean, it's, it's so, it's so, it's so big, as you said, but it's so powerful. And, and a, a timing of all the pieces is I think one of the biggest critical pieces. And you, when you get it right, the impact you know, the, the speed to revenue, the speed to profitability, the, the impact and awareness, all of those things are so powerful. And yet, because it is so often sort of um, bifurcated, right? Where like one group does here and then there's this weird handoff uh, and, and you sort of lose the momentum and the ability to go through. So I think that's great. And then customer experience mapping, it touches so many things and it's so powerful when you, when you can step back from all of the from the individual touch point and see what the whole experience looks like uh, from the customer's point of view, I think there is so much opportunity then. So fun areas. So much. And the on launch, it's funny because I said marketing is, you know, something different to everybody. Launches are mm. something that are different to everybody um, because it's something I learned in Pragmatic actually and had to continue to remind the businesses, you know, it probably isn't always smart to just do a mass market launch on the GA day of a product. Um, and so the, um, you know, everyone say we're launching Thursday and like the general manager would want a understanding for when are we going to sign that first customer? You know, is it going to be the next mm -hmm. week or the week after? And I'm like, hold on a second GA day. Um, then we're, let's do a soft launch, really test this with some, early adopters, and then let's do a general mass market launch. Once we have some proof points, once we know that there's product market fit, once we know the way we're talking about this resonates. Um, and so that is something I continue to kind of educate and manage. But it, um, I think it's so important because just like, just because something's available does not mean it is launched. I think that's, it's so smart, right? And there's often pressure, right? To get the, you know, maybe it was so delayed coming in and then there's pressure to get the first revenue. But the difference between really approaching it that way, thinking about the best sort of strategic approach to launch, where we can go first, how we can then use those advocates is is key. So I'm, I'm excited to hear that you're advocating and that you're having some success because it's, it's, a, it's, a it's a hard thing to kind of push back on because everyone's so excited to see it and the investment was large to get there. Uh, that, yeah. that it's hard to balance those pressures for sure. Totally. And then the other thing we started, we really aligned with product on that I think was exciting is we used launches internally as a way to just kind of drive internal excitement. Like, like you mentioned, you know, they can be so exciting, but just um, cause it spent, you spend a year or whatever, really mm -hmm. putting this thing together 
and it's almost a myth just to focus externally, right? It's, that's, that is the goal to drive value for the customers, but also it's just a, such an exciting like thing to rally around inside. So we also did a lot internally to, to celebrate a win like that as well. You know, we were actually literally just talking about this as a team the other day on how do you uh, do those types of celebrations remotely? Because we <laughs> to do some great parties uh, for launches, at, you know, not like yes. crazy, but really fun sort of events with the whole organization. And it really felt it. Uh, and we we personally have struggled with the how do I carry that over into virtual to make it seem the same way? Oh, it is something we probably talk about every single day. Um <laughs> And I think people have done some really creative things. Something like we were looking at for an upcoming launch is, you know, sending a bottle of wine or sending like a, like a thank you for being a customer, like please join us in celebrating this thing box to some of your super users. Um, and then I don't know if you guys have heard of a vendor called like Sindoso or Alice, where you can use it to send um, like really meaningful personalized gifts to customers, but we want to, we want to experiment with things like that because I totally agree, right? A, a party in person is the ideal scenario at, at a conference or something, but um, there are some interesting creative things to, that can surprise and delight people while they're at home still. That's true. And that's true both for the employees and the clients, right? Uh, and sending something fun and unexpected to the employees can be a, can be a great, a great deal of fun. We got Uber Eats gift cards today for St. Patrick's Day. Nice. You know, um, just just so you could have lunch and we're going to do a little happy hour. So I know everyone's very familiar with uh, the Zoom happy hours these days. So one other group you talked about, which is always, again, you get to hit all my favorite topics, is sales enablement. Can you tell me a little bit about where sales enablement lives uh, at IBM and then sort of how it interacts with your group and maybe the wider organization? Yeah, I think it depends on the year where it lives. It's all, you know, sometimes it's reporting through sales, sometimes it's marketing, sometimes it's its own thing. Um, so we really see it as the bridge between marketing and sales for sure. Um, so it doesn't report directly into um, one of those functions, but it's really a bridge. And so we spent a lot of time just making sure our enablement leader was looped into everything. They would be on our sprint planning calls because we work in a really agile way. Um, and they would be responsible for also giving updates on our standups and stuff. So what are, what are their training plans? How do we inform them? So we work super tightly on what the, the calendars are, what the training calendars are, what are the gaps in sales education so that we can help partner with them to make sure that we're filling those gaps. Um, and then what we do every year is, you know, an annual sales meeting. So we're really co-leads of getting that content together. What are the focuses for the year? How are we going to win um, our signing targets in the next year? And so therefore, what is the training that needs to support that? Um, so they're a super, they're really a partner to us and we stay super tight every week with them. Sounds like in your role, there is just, a, there's a lot of relationship building and a lot of sort of continual conversations and alignment to make sure everyone's uh, connected, right? Which I think is exactly what makes the best oiled machines. Yeah. And in a like a large organization that's highly matrixed, I think over communicating is probably the most important thing because there's a lot of uh, glue that needs to, um, you know, that needs to, to happen across functions. Otherwise, you, you, that's how the misalignment happens, right? If everyone's just focused in their silo and then 
people have different priorities. And then um, at the end of the year, you look back and everyone did something a little different, but that's something we've been focused on making sure does not happen. But I know, I mean, there's already lots of uh, locations for your for your coworkers even before COVID, but with COVID and so much virtual work, have you guys uh, added new tools at all to the sort of uh, how you communicate and keep aligned? So are there, I we leverage the tools we always kind of had access to, I think more than we historically did. So um, for example, mural is something that I think we wouldn't dedicate much time to using, but now in remote, it's been a tool that's been great. And even our sales team has started using mural and we've trained them on how to use that in a sales conversation, almost like whiteboarding with a customer or something. Yes. So they've been testing some new tools. And then of course, like the Trello's um, and we use Slack as well, just to stay super connected. I think Slack has some fun add-ons that you can use even to stay connected, like the coffee chat function, the water cooler type apps, um, because we found, you know, people were missing that in office kind of yep. um, unstructured conversation. So we implemented a lot of things like that. Nice. Yeah. The, the mural boards and the mural boards, they're, they're kind of similar, but they, uh, it's funny because they, they definitely help. And I think different parts of the organization tend to embrace first, like, your marketing yeah. teams and your design teams are like, this is how I think this is fantastic. Uh, and some of the more structured teams take a while, right? So it's, it's fun to even see which tools uh, speak to different groups and different personality types more. Totally. I know it was really fun to see sales kind of embrace it though, as a tool that they could use. Cause I think it was another one of those things that was scary at first where they didn't see the value. And then the second they start to see, um, how it adds to a conversation or, or how it helps them ask questions of a customer and stuff, they really started to lean in and use it. One of the, one of the things that we've talked about, uh, you've, you've talked a little bit about it and then you know, we've talked about lots of different ways, but you, you've mentioned the pragmatic framework. I know you're an alumni uh, and that you use that framework for alignment, right? Specifically for alignment. Now, is that something that is, is how you structure your thinking about, are you going to do it? Or is this like a tool that you will, you'll pull out and be like, hey, peers, look at this. And, and where do you lie? Or, or is it some combination? It's both for sure. So I um, use it because so, some we've had so much change just constantly, right? New people coming into an org, people leaving. Um, so I always use it when someone's coming in and we have even created a version that shows what offering or product owns, what sales enablement owns, what marketing owns. And so I'll, I will share that version with new folks, or I will pull it out when someone's like, who owns creating like the user persona? Who owns this? And so we'll use that, um, but then also always evaluate like, okay, does that make sense? Or should somebody else at this time for this really specific case um, own this? And then just in my day, I do, I still have the notebooks and I pull them out um, like when I'm just struggling with trying to figure out how to answer a certain question, right? Like when we're planning a launch, what is this type of launch that we're planning? Or when I'm trying to um, measure something like just for inspiration, because I do have a consulting background. So frameworks are something I lean into when something feels really ambiguous as a starting point. Well, there is nothing I like to hear better than that. Uh, and it's, just, again, I think that framework... Uh, uh, you know, obviously I use the framework all the time, but also I think as a organization and roles tool, it's so strong. 
Uh, and then I yeah. like what you talked about both. Do you sort of have, this is the default map of who owns what and, and we have it and we all understand it, but it doesn't mean that there aren't times that you have the discussion about changing it for a specific occasion. That's smart. That's a good thing. You just have to do it with intent. Right. And, and that's, you know, yeah. we all, we often get the question of, well, who should own this box, right? People will call and you can tell they're fighting on their end and they're like, they want you to side with them. And one of the things we generally say is like, well, you want to look at the, where the skills lie, right? But the yeah. other thing is it doesn't truly matter which group owns it as long as there's a really, as long as someone owns it and there's a really clear understanding of it, right? We see, yeah. we see what you guys call offering management, which a lot of places call product management. We see different ownerships and in, in, in boxes and different things all the time. Uh, but the really successful ones have that conversation with intent, uh, and then really recognize that like, we've got to be clear because it's not only bad if no one owns it, it's also bad if like three people think they own it uh, or three groups, yeah. right? You know, you can overinvest or underinvest. So I'm excited to see that the tool is, is still really helping you guys there. We've, uh, we've done lots of work with IBM groups and really always enjoy that as well. Yes. And I totally agree to your point on, um, skills, right? So that's why it's almost so case by case, because sometimes we have a product marketer who's really strong at understanding the market problem and kind of, you know, how we can start to address that. And they complement the product manager's responsibilities or vice versa. So it's, it's really on like a kind of a core team case by case, but making sure they all know so that we don't have two teams doing the same thing, which definitely happens sometimes. Um, or they're not leveraging the work because, you know, we, we've had like a design team do a lot of upfront market research that never gets handed to the marketing team. So then we go and do very similar research a year later after the product's almost done being developed. Um, so it definitely helps if you're sharing those and, make, and making sure you're really aligned so that you're not wasting time for cycles. Absolutely. All right, Eileen, we've talked about a bunch of different stuff today. Uh, lots of good stuff, my favorite topics. Uh, if you were to have listeners, if you would suggest to listeners to two things differently tomorrow, based on kind of the topics we talked about today, what would those be? One is to pick up the phone and call your, you know, your key stakeholders or partners more frequently. Probably. You're probably on calls with them already. You're sick of Zoom calls. But I find the majority of my work actually happens in those 15-minute just touch points because I call someone and I have a question and then we catch up on something. And then um, we ha have a great idea and start charging after that. So I would say just, you know, pick up the phone and call um, and just connect for a few minutes because I think so much happens on those interlocks. Um, and then what would the second thing be? So over the past week, I've been, you know, reaching out to a lot of people. I'm thinking about like what my next opportunity and new role is going to be. And through this, I took a new role outside of IBM actually. And so my last day is Friday with IBM and I'll be starting a new gig um, in a few weeks, which is really exciting. But as I've been telling people, they've been giving me, you know, really positive feedback. And I, I've been reflecting on this experience of, you know, ending a role and starting a new one. And um, I realized that we should probably tell people positive things before they're leaving, right? So <laughs> the thing I would say is if, you, if, if you're really impressed by someone's work or like you have a strong collaborator or whatever it is, 
tell them, like say those things because, you know, we're in the last mile of this pandemic and it's really hard and work is really hard to do right now. And I think hearing that from peers or people that report to you or your leaders uh, really means a lot. So share those things um, before they're leaving because I think it can, you can really brighten someone's day if you share that gratitude. I, I think that's so smart and it's it's so true, right? Sometimes we just assume they know we think they're awesome. Uh, everybody at every level appreciates feedback like that too, right? I, I think we yeah. sometimes like forget to tell our boss, right? Like they're our boss. Yeah. They must know they're great. Uh, but it's meaningful when I get it from someone who works for me. I, I can see what it means when I, I do with intent out there. Uh, and you're right. The last thing you want to do is be like, oh, wait, you're leaving, but you're awesome. Oh, wait, we never told you. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and and for me, and yeah. I, I am definitely, I always, I was like, I'm very self-aware in this area. I am a person that like praise just makes me work 10 times harder for you. I'm hundred percent that person. Like, me I'm a, and I, but I think a lot of people are like that, that giving that positive feedback doesn't make them go, oh good. I've hit the peak and now I can stop. It makes them just double down uh, because they, they see that they're seen, right? They, they recognize that. Yeah. So that is, that is excellent advice. Um, and it is, I know we're at the final mile, but it is, it's, a, it's, it's been a long road and it's not over and it's hard uh, and it's hard on yes. everybody. Right. So I yes. think that's a really good advice, both of those. And so, I get so much energy from people, right? Like in the office in with teams. And so it, it is really hard, right? So any way you can energize others, I think even remotely is, just so important right now. Absolutely. So call your stakeholders, make those connection points, even un, sort of unexpected just to reconnect. And then don't, you know, tell people when they're doing a good job at every level. Great. Yes. Eileen, this was really fun. I really, really appreciate you coming on today. And I hope that when you land in your new gig, that we can do another follow-up sometime uh, and, and see how it's I would love there. that. Awesome. I've had so much fun. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, thank you. All right. That does it, everyone, for today's episode. Thank you for listening. And don't forget to join us next week when we tackle another great topic designed to help you elevate your product, your company, and your career.